It's Dr. Stu's podcast with me, Dr. Stuart James Fishbein. Well, thank you for listening and tuning in. This is a podcast that isn't, doesn't really have a number. This is a special edition podcast I'm doing in honor of a colleague of mine who is undergoing some um, turmoil in uh, Georgia. His name is Dr. Brad Boots, Boots Taylor, and we have done a podcast on Dr. Boots Taylor earlier on in our ar- archives. He's a twin son of mine of a different mother. Uh, he is a practitioner who honors choices, and he honors women's uh, informed consent. And for that, like a lot of us, he is being um, beaten upon. And I wanted to take this special podcast without a number to uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in Georgia. And then I have a couple of guests here. Uh, I want to welcome uh, Jessica Herod and Becky Dodson, two women who have both given birth uh, to twins, and they're going to be telling their stories, and uh, we're going to be doing a little interview of them in a minute. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. All right, so I want to, uh, thanks for being here, by the way. I know <laughs> that, uh, that you both have a, a brood at home that you, are, you left to come in today on a Friday afternoon, uh, so I'm very grateful for you being here. Uh, by the way, if you have uh, comments about this podcast, you can reach me at uh, askdrstew at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, like us on Facebook. You can find us at drstewspodcast.com uh, or on Facebook. Also, uh, birthinginstincts.com uh, is mine. Kimberly is off today. Um, and so this is, again, this is a special uh, edition of the Dr. Stew's podcast in honor of my friend Brad Boots, t- uh, Boots Taylor. Um, I want to read uh, from Facebook page uh, that's called the DeKalb, DeKalb Medical Center protest page. And this was posted last week. Um, today is the uh, 19th of May. This podcast won't be up for a couple days, but I just want to keep things in order. In August of last year, we protested a number of sweeping changes designed to undermine patient autonomy at DeKalb Medical Center. Though we were able to secure a number of victories, including the reinstatement of water birth, we continued to hear reports of abuses at DeKalb Medical Center. Those include coercive practices such as refusing to admit patients who do not comply with hospital desires, declining to treat certain patients, and ignoring patients' right to informed consent and informed refusal. We have repeatedly heard reports of forced, coerced episiotomies, cesarean sections, and other interventions. We have also heard reports of patients denied without medical justification pain relief during labor. Now the privileges of Brad Boots Taylor, one of the few physicians with a reputation for respecting patient autonomy, have been suspended. The Georgia Birth Advocacy Coalition sees this as a clear indication that the abuses at DMC will continue. Without Dr. Boots-Taylor, water birth and other options may end. Patients will likely see an escalation in abusive tactics, coercion, and disregard for the patient's rights by DeKalb Medical Center. Women do not lose the right to control what happens to their bodies when they become pregnant. We demand that DeKalb Medical Center end, end the practice of coercion, bullying, and abusing women. Along that time, um, one of my dearest friends who I've quoted many times on this podcast is Rick Safries. And Rick Safries is a, uh, a professor at Wabash College, associate professor, I believe. And then she wrote a letter that you can find on the DeKalb Medical Center f- uh, uh, protest page. But I wanted to read a portion of the letter because it really highlights so much of this issue and, make, and explains it a little bit better than, than I could ever do. She writes, Dear DeKalb Medical Center, I am writing to express my extreme consternation about your revoking C-Baby's privileges. C-Baby, by the way, is the midwifery group and the practice of Dr. Boots-Taylor and his collaborating midwives. And they, they collaborate in the hospital practice, much as I did back in the, uh, 
in the uh, 2000s and in 1995 to 2010 when I had a collaborative uh, practice called The Woman's Place in Camarillo, California, very similar. Uh, as I understand the situation, Dr. Boots-Taylor supported a family who wanted a vaginal birth for their breech-breech twins. The twins were both born with excellent APGAR scores. The second twin sustained a long bone fracture that is healing without complication. I am a maternity care researcher and academic, and one of my main research interests is vaginal breech birth. I am currently collaborating with a British midwife and breech expert, Sean Walker. Uh, many of you probably know who she is, and if not, you really should know who she is, uh, to help hospitals safely implement vaginal breech services. As the evidence mounts that vaginal breech birth can be a safe option, especially when supported by experienced providers, it is unethical to ban women and their providers from the option of vaginal breech birth. Studies on breech-first twins are rare, but the best evidence indicates that cesarean section is no safer than vaginal birth. And this was an article that I've quoted before from the Green Journal. I think it was in 2000, and it looked at uh, uh, breech-first twins and found that there was no significant difference in the outcomes for these babies. The most recent ACOG practice bulletin upholds vaginal breech birth with experienced providers. I want to remind you that banning vaginal breech birth or vaginal twin births by removing experienced providers such as Dr. Boots-Taylor forces women to have surgery without their consent and forces providers to coerce their patients into surgery. This directly violates the principles of informed consent, which includes the right to informed refusal. American College of OBGYN's May 2016 practice bulletin strongly upholds pregnant women's rights to refuse medical treatment. It reads... Decisionally, capable pregnant women's decisions to refuse recommended medical or surgical intervention should be respected. The use of coercion is not only ethically impermissible, but also medically in inadvisable because of the realities of prognostic uncertainty and limitations of medical knowledge. As such, it is never acceptable for obstetrician gynecologists to attempt to influence patients toward a clinical decision using coercion. Dr. Uh, uh, Rixa Fries goes on, uh, forcing women to have Cesareans for cases such as breech twin and VBAC also violates U.S. legal rulings that uphold the right of competent adults to refuse surgery. In particular, the Georgia Medical Consent Law has a section on the rights of persons who are at least 18 years of age to refuse to consent to treatment. Nothing contained in this chapter shall be construed to abridge any right of a person 18 years or of age or older to refuse or to consent to medical or surgical treatment as to his own person. I have read Jessica and Kevin Hake's statement, and that's the family that uh, uh, was delighted about having the twin birth with Dr. Boots-Taylor, about why they chose to have their twins with Dr. Boots-Taylor. Nothing in that letter shows evidence of illegal, unethical, or unsafe practices. In fact, Dr. Boots-Taylor Dr. Boots-Taylor's commitment to patient advocacy by respecting Jessica's right to informed consent and self-determination should be commended. I know this is a long letter, people, but it's really important. So uh, we're going to get to the meat in just a second here, but I, I've got to finish the letter. Short-term morbidity, such as long bone fracture, can happen with, after cesarean sections, including cesarean sections for breech babies. And in this, Dr. Fries gives eight references of cases of long bone fracture of babies born breech at cesarean section. Uh, forcing all women to have cesareans for breech or twins because of a long bone fracture is as illogical as forcing all women to have cesareans to avoid shoulder dystocia or requiring all women to have vaginal births to avoid placenta accreta. Women who have a cesarean surgeries, 
who have cesarean surgeries have a higher risk of death. There's, even though that's small, that's, that's something that's probably never quoted when you're getting informed consent about your, your simple cesarean birth. Their subsequent pregnancies have worse outcomes than those of women who had a vaginal birth. Removing the option of a vaginal birth for women with breech, twins, or uterine scars births forces these women to undertake these risks, often with no added benefit. The C-Baby team is one of the few practices in that area, even in the state of Georgia, as the Hake story can attest to, that offers women a full range of choices. I urge you to reinstate C-Baby's privileges. I also urge you to encourage all maternity care providers at your hospital to provide full informed consent and a full range of choices to their patients, including the right to refuse a cesarean in favor of a vaginal birth. All women deserve to give birth in a manner of their choosing, free of coercion. The law requires it. Medical ethics demands it, and most importantly, women want it. Amen. Pretty good letter, eh? Yeah, very right. good. You can't nod on the radio there, but <laughs> <laughs> get the hang of this. Yeah. So anyway, I just had to get that in because um, it sets the groundwork for uh, the protest that's actually going there on there today, and so I'm sort of honoring the protest by doing this special edition oh, wow. of Doctor Stu's podcast that doesn't have a number. Um, that will uh, go out in honor of the of the in, in support of what they're doing over there. Since I'm trapped here in Southern California with you, Great. <laughs> right on a beautiful sunny day. Yes, right. So anyway, I, I invited you guys here today, and I'm so thrilled that you both came because you both have interesting stories to tell that are really applicable to the what was going what what I just read. Um, both of you had uh, twins that, and both of you had breeches. Uh, one of you had. Both of your twins were breached, okay. and one of you had a twin that was breached and the second twin that was head down. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to start by just getting a little history from both. I think I'll start with you, Jessica, and maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how it felt when you found out you were having twins and mm. what happened. I wasn't, I didn't find out I was having twins until I was 13 weeks because I was seeing a midwife planning for an out-of-home uh, or at-home birth, um, and so I, you know, was pregnant fairly <laughs> far along and just wanted to see I just wanted to see the baby and I remember the technician was like oh shoot you got two and it was I spent the next two weeks sobbing I mean I was I was so overwhelmed by the news and so overwhelmed by what it, it just didn't compute that I was getting two babies at once and it, it was the beginning of just this overwhelming decision process of you know, I had been a doula for a year at that point, so I knew I knew what this meant in terms of my birth. I knew that this was going to mean a C-section. I knew that this was most likely going to be in a hospital and that they were going to mess with me and my babies, and it, it freaked me out. Um, and you knew that because of your experience because in of the birth my, world. Right? Yeah, in the birth world, and I remember just crying to my midwife, Sue Gill, bless her heart, like, I can't do that. Like, we can't, I can't afford you, A, I can't, I don't know what to do, so I guess I just have to go to a hospital and do what they and she was the one that she looked me square in the eye and she was like you don't you know what they're going to do to you in there you know what they're <laughs> going to do to your babies oh wow that's great yeah and she was like yeah you know it's funny because we we always talk on this podcast and we want to make sure that we, people understand that we don't believe that the hospital is always the <laughs> no, enemy no. but this is this is such a common story that that it is expected that they will meddle with your twins and that yeah. that, that you will you will very hard to find a practitioner even before they uh, even know the presentation. Mm -hmm. They're already setting you up for the idea that a cesarean section is probably going to be in your best interest, 
without ever really going through the informed consent process. Yeah. Now you had a, you had a, a first baby uh, Moses. You had I did yeah, and I and had him. Did you have him at home? No, I had him in a hospital. Um, I had a wonderful OB, Dr. Jessica Schneider, who really left me alone. Um, he was OP. I even I even went home at six centimeters dilated and came back twenty four hours later and no IV. I mean, I I almost had an at-home birth in a hospital. So I knew I could do it unmedicated and, and not being messed with, which was why I wanted to do it, you know, the second time at home. Um, so that's, a, that's actually quite interesting because a lot of people choose home birth after their first birth in the hospital because they didn't have a good experience. I had a great experience. And here you had a great experience. Except post. Like the amount of bothering, you know, every two hours checking your vitals and whisking him off to take a bath and all that stuff that I knew he didn't really need. That was majority of what I wanted to avoid was just leave me alone. I just want to like hold my baby and lay here. Right. But right. They, so yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's great. And then, and then Becky, yes. uh, you know, you, you, well, you, I, I'm going to just uh, sum up your history a little bit. You had a cesarean section for your first pregnancy. Right. And that was for, as you said to me, failure to progress, whichever, whatever well, that means. I mean, means. I think it's the typical, you know, progression. I lived in Northern California. I was uh, laboring in a birth center that didn't have any surgical facilities. I lived very remotely. I was working with a midwife, um, first baby, 19 years old, just really got a lot of education about pregnancy and birth from that experience because I, you know, was unexpectedly pregnant. And um, anyway, so my labor went long, like, um, Probably a typical labor. I mean, I was 42 weeks, exactly. Mm. And then but you went into labor spontaneously. I did, you didn't get yeah. Induced. And then once it started to get a little bit, I started to get more exhausted, and you know, it started to look like maybe we should transport. And, and, and because I was 70 miles away from the closest hospital, we just I just called it. So then I got there, and it was like a crash C-section. Explain, explain that why why it was a crash C-section. Well, I mean, they just treated it like an emergency. So when I showed up, it was like really fast, lots of signing of papers and, you know, prepping. And, and then I was under general anesthesia, I guess, because they felt was, like was there the wasn't baby, enough Was time. the baby in trouble? There was meconium staining and, I mean, a kind of D-cells. But, I mean, when I look back and from what I know now and, like, working with, you know, all of my pregnancies and also working with midwives and, you know, also being in the birth world, it, it was it was kind of borderline, I think. I mean, I, I don't think my midwife made a bad decision and I don't think... Um, it was handled poorly, but at the same time, like, I think if I had been more educated at the time about, like, labor and birth, that it may have turned out differently, but it's really hard to say, you know. Do you, you remember can't... how far you were dilated when you got to the hospital? I was pushing. Oh, you were? Yeah. I mean, I was I was fully, like, 10 centimeters, but it was just ineffective. I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of look back and I think that there was a lot of fear in me, mm. and that's why there wasn't. So you didn't you didn't ask the question of can I get an epidural in Pitocin? No, or, I didn't right. even know what an epidural was. Right. Yeah, at all. Right. Like, and there was no. I mean, I was unmedicated completely all the way up until that point. But. And everything else, and postpartum for that baby, you guys did fine. Everything was fine. Yeah, it was she was typical perfectly healthy. Correct. Yeah, I'm beautiful little girl, you know. And 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 aftercare was fine. I mean, I, I mean, I obviously had to stay in the, the hospital longer, and I do remember like a lot of poking and prodding, but I was totally drugged up and just. Okay, and then you had a second baby and a third baby, and they were both the successful VBACs. Yes. And were they in the hospital or were they at home? Home. How, how'd that work? Home. I, um, well, when I became pregnant again, um, my daughter was already 11 years old, and I just assumed that I was going to have a VBAC. And I was working with an OB, and um, 
West Hills. And I remember talking to her about it. And she actually looked at me in exact words. She said, you're fucking crazy if you think you're going to have this baby <gasps> vaginally. And I said, what? <laughs> like, am I? Like, I have... Yeah, is your background in the birth world? Because most people, if they had a first C-section, would not have said what you just said, which is, I, I just naturally assumed I was going to have a V-back. Yeah. Well, most people would actually say, I naturally assumed I was going to have well, a repeat cesarean section. I took my first experience and immediately just like became like obsessed with learning about pregnancy and birth, and I wanted to become a midwife, and you know, I started my doula training. And so, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of education just based on feeling like if I ever was going to do this again, I was going to do it with like knowledge you know like as a kid when i was first pregnant i was just like well you know i guess okay so then the doctor says this lovely statement to you what happened after that i got super mad and i like and i um and then i became challenged you know i was like i'm gonna show you i'm definitely gonna have this baby vaginally now and i mean my husband um he's my first child is from a different father so this was his first experience with a pregnant person and and you know just dealing with the idea of birth and so he was really uncomfortable with the mm. idea of a home birth and so we had to sort of explore and I ended up working with Marsha McCauley I don't know if you're familiar with her mm-hmm. and she had a birth center in Simi Valley at the time and so that was like a really good um compromise for my husband and so we started working with her but then like she had a bunch of licensure problems while I was pregnant and lost her license was mm. no, no longer able to practice so then I was up in the air again and I was like freaking out but then i finally found a midwife that was um licensed well yeah i'm not that but i mean <laughs> just, just willing to do a v-back right because i had other midwives be like no you know or i need to manage you or i need to like monitor you the whole time and i was just no 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 and this was what year <sighs> gosh he was born in um 2007 okay so we're talking 10 years ago yeah yeah okay. and so then leslie stewart took me as um well i chose her and then you were my backup physician mm. and you know we went from there and then I, yeah, that was that was when I was still working in, in yeah. the hospital setting. Yeah, you know, the old days. So, so you ended up uh, having a home birth then because because Leslie doesn't have a birth. Right. Well, I right. finally like as as you know these things kept happening and you know like I said the only reason why I tra- chose a birthing center was to make my husband not be afraid, and then finally I was just really had to put my foot down and I was just like this is the way it's gonna be like I don't want right to go to a, have a baby in a hospital I don't want to and so he finally. He met Leslie and, you know, he started learning and then well, he became Well, once you meet Leslie, it's, it's, over. Right. it's over. Well, now <laughs> Lucas is like a birth advocate. You know, he's just the biggest birth advocate for home birth ever. I mean, we've had, what, five kids at home? I love that. Yeah, and he, I mean, he had like cameras everywhere. <laughs> so I still remember, we'll get to that and we'll get to that in a minute. So then, so that was baby number two. And then your baby number three was also VBAC. Was that also uh, at home with, uh, yeah. with Leslie and her team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So then uh, pregnancy number four comes along. Huh. And tell us about how you discovered what was going on and what well, happened. Well, I became pregnant, um, and because I'd had uh, I've had uh, experience with miscarriages and whatnot, so like always in early pregnancy, I'm checking HCG numbers mm-hmm. and you know everything. So I had already done blood work. Um, I think it was like s- right before six or seven weeks, and my numbers were really high and they're doubling really quickly, and it was just kind of like, well, maybe, maybe there's two. Yeah. And um, my dad is a, a fraternal twin, so it's it's hereditary. Anyway, so we go in, and um, you know, we <laughs> we have two kids in the, the double stroller, and we're all in this exam room, and it's tiny, and everyone's freaking out. 
and a doctor. <laughs> so Lucas is standing there and he's like, I just want to make sure there's only one in there mm-hmm. and then I'll leave. And the doctor's looking at the screen and he's this is like, just well, a regu- this is just a regular OBGYN? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, right. Kaiser. Oh, okay. And he's like, actually, there's two. And I also <laughs> just panicked. And I mean, I remember just sitting there and like he was talking and I'm just staring straight ahead. Lucas already left. I thought oh for God. sure he was at the bar or something like down the street because we were both just like, no, we had two toddlers yeah. and, a and a preteen. And Jesus. so, yeah, I feel like when you find out you're having twins, um, I think most of the time, like yes. some people I'm sure are trying, trying, trying. But sure. um, when you have spontaneous twins or surprise twins, there's always that like panic yes. that deeply set just and your all of your plans change yeah. you know same thing with me like i for sure was having another home birth and then all of a sudden immediately i'm like nope i'm gonna have a c-section i know it yeah, yeah. and you know what's interesting about this is i hear you guys talking about it you uh, jessica you were at 13 weeks you were out six or seven yeah. weeks you know imagine the women who are breech who are planning all this their birth in the hospital with an epidural or at home or whatever and then at 37 or 38 weeks or even 40 weeks suddenly their breach and their whole world is just turned yes. upside well, down. Well, we had that too, right? I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, oh, that, well, then, yeah. yeah. I mean, my baby A was breached forever, and I tried and did all the flipping yeah. things and all of that, and stressed and panicked. Yeah. And so, what was your initial plan once you found out you had twins and you know you wanted a home birth? Did you immediately well, Leslie come to sanctuary, or what? Do, how did it work? Yeah, Leslie couldn't uh, provide care because of her. She's a, a certified nurse midwife, so right. there were like. Some yeah, their their rules there. their rules were really strict. Even and this was actually already now we're in two thousand what uh, eleven. Oh no, what year? What? <laughs> Star- no, no, I, yes. How many um, fingers am I holding? It was twi- it was two thousand eleven that they were born in February. So it was t- two thousand ten when I found out I was pregnant. Right. Um. Obviously, Leslie was like, I "Really can't help mm. you," you know. And um, I wasn't even in her care yet. It was I was only six seven weeks pregnant when I found out. So then what I did was I started thinking, all right, well, what are my options? Like, I'm going to find a, you know, a, a twin-friendly OB in a hospital somewhere, you know, or, I, you know, I started doing that. But the whole time, just like innately, I just felt that that wasn't for me and I didn't want it, you know. So I luckily just, I mean, I started calling every midwife in the world and I called the sanctuary and I said, hey, I'm pregnant. Um, and they're like, great, come on in. And I was like, I have twins. They're like, great, come on in. And I was like, <laughs> what like I was like really and I was thrilled I couldn't even believe I just I didn't believe it and then I went in and I remember we sat down I talked with you and Rasha and just went forward from there and I this is one of the 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 blessings that comes from getting kicked off hospital staff just want Dr. Boots Taylor if he's listening to to know that there's a there is a there's a light light at the end of the tunnel that's right I don't you know he's gonna he's gonna work it out he's gonna go to another hospital and he's gonna or whatever they're gonna do it with the cow, but but I'm just saying that serendipitously, the fact that I had left hospital based practice in 2010. It's amazing. It was a mutually kicking out. We, I kicked them out. They kicked me out. It was sort of mutual. People who know me know the story. I think right. I've already talked about it yeah. ad nauseum on this podcast. But but um, it made us available to uh, get together. I was floored mm-hmm. and thrilled. Yeah. And then you know I had to figure out how to afford it, but I right. did. You know I was like, okay, this is what we're doing, and then. It just feels like that whole entire pregnancy was just like a pioneer, like, you know, like venture, like yes. just forging into unknown territory. Did you? All right. So I want to ask both of you. I'll go back to Jessica right now. So once you found out you were having twins and then you found Sue and Sue mm-hmm. brought me in somehow. I no, don't, she was just like, Dr. I don't, remember how, I don't I mean, remember how far along you were when I met. Did I, did I meet you early on? No, I think I was, um, I don't know, 
thir- uh, 15, 16, yeah, almost 20, still, 19, I consider 20. that to be early on, okay. actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was halfway there. Right. By right. the time I and got so in. then we did co-care, Sue Gill, and mm-hmm. you saw some Sue sometimes. You came up to my office yep. sometimes. For testing. You were living in Orange County at that mm-hmm. time. North already. Orange County, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, so when you decided to have twins, and you decided to have twins at home, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of uh, flack did you get? Flack? Did you? Oh. Did you eliminate? How did you deal with people? Did you not tell them? Did you tell them? Did you? You know. You know. You know what I'm saying. You I know do, what I'm yeah. asking. It sort of Everybody depended on my mood, and it depended on who the person was. Sometimes I just wouldn't say unless I they asked, and sometimes I would do it because I knew they would think I was nuts, <laughs> and because it felt. Because you, I mean, unless the person was a, d- a doula or a midwife, I was getting a sideways look. I was getting what? I was getting. Are you crazy? And um, well, the standard, the standard feeling in the in the in the not knowledgeable. I guess that's a nice way of putting it. Sure. Uh, lay community is that uh, breaches and twins are are delivered by cesarean section. Yeah, I mean, and even a home birth without a twin, if you're not, if you're talking to just you know regular Joe on oh, the street, oh, they think you're crazy. They think you're crazy. Yeah. yeah, and they think that you're literally putting yourself and your baby at risk. And and yeah, I mean, even my mother-in-law, you know, she's a nurse, and she was like, "What are you doing with my grandsons?" You know, and if you would have had. You know, if all things being equal, I know that you loved, you had, uh, you know, Moses at home and stuff like that. Well, I mean, yeah, I didn't have him at home, but I I knew that I could. Oh, where? He was at the hospital, but I wasn't medicated. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, that's right. Um, yeah. But if you would have had the same uh, option for a twin birth at home where you would have been left alone and had the same sort of experience you had at home, would anyone, would you have felt better? Would anyone else have felt better about doing it in the hospital because there's an operating room 90 feet down the hallway or... Or is that something that we know is so far-fetched that it's not even possible to even imagine? I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> I, don't, I just don't think that people know enough about birth and enough about really like how often an emergency C-section is actually needed to, to weigh in. And so, you know, in America, it's like you go to a hospital. You just go to a hospital. I don't know why you would choose otherwise. Yeah, an emergency ces- uh, the emergency cesarean section term is so overused. I mean, I, I've talked to many, many people at consultation, and they say, yeah, we ended up having an emergency cesarean section. And I said, oh, it was an emergency? Like, did they Not rush you down the hallway? Did they give you gender? Did they splash betadine on your belly? Did they, like, blah, blah, blah? No, 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 no. They, my doctor came in. and blah, blah, blah. So they think it because they were told it was right. an emergency. There's a big difference between an emergency cesarean section and an urgent cesarean section or a Scandal. inevitable cesarean section or whatever. But so it's, it's a term that's way overused. Um, but anyway, so because so, I was thinking that, that there, there's a lot of people in the medical world and the American College of OBGYN and stuff like that, that they, even they, you look at their home birth paper or their home birth guidelines, which are, you know, they don't like home birth and everybody knows mm-hmm. that ACOG doesn't like home birth, but they say things like, VBAC breach and twins are absolute contraindications to home birth. And yet there's absolutely no scientific data, no level A or B evidence to support that position. It's what's called consensus opinion. So then they always say, well, but the ideal situation would be to make the hospital more homelike. And uh, and this is one of those things that always drives me crazy (laughs) because the limitations of the hospital's policies and restrictions and legal aspects and things like that make it impossible to make yeah. the hospital more homelike. I mean, with when the home birth, you never have to leave your house. Not before, not during, not after. All right? You can't do that in a hospital mm-hmm. setting. Hospitals have policies and protocols. They have 
sterile policies. I mean, uh, it, it was really interesting at, at uh, the ACOG meeting in San Diego, which I talked about in my last podcast, um, Neil Shaw gave a little talk and he said that the complexity that the hospitals have made birth into is a monstrosity. And he gave an example, he showed a picture and there were seven different garbage cans um, in labor and delivery at the hospital that he works at. I mean, they've got seven different types of trash at the hospital. And so it, it's gotten, as an example, it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. So people always say, well, you should have, you know, if you could have it at the hospital, would you have it at the hospital? And, the, and your answer no. ultimately is you'd never get the same experience at the hospital. Mm-mm. So, And I mean, it, it's, so, it's so hard in that situation because you are automatically, I think people automatically assume that you think that the hospital's bad and that, and I, you know, the entire time I knew that if I was going to end up in the hospital, then that's where I needed to be. But I didn't want to just say, well, I have twins, so I got to be in a hospital. I feel like the hospital is there for emergency, you know, when something is wrong. And I didn't feel like there was anything wrong with as the pr- pregnancy progressed. Well, it's interesting because because in a minute, we're going to, in a little while, we're going to keep the listeners on edge because we're going to talk a little bit about your, about your delivery. And <laughs> there was an emergency. There was, yeah. And... It, we got, we it was it, we handled. Dealt, we handled it at home, and we'll talk about that in a second. Ooh. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Becky, when you found out that you had twins and you were already a home birth advocate, and you sort of, you know, we knew each other and right. from the community, and uh, but what did you? Ha- what are the things that you had to deal with as far as the surroundings and the people you, you knew? Well, I, I mean, like I mentioned before, I, I just didn't have any clue that it could be done at home so it, what I immediately started to do and I do in any situation that I get in is I just you know go on the internet or I do my research and I you know reach out and, and I found like these forums and, and, and communities of w- women online who had natural twin births and then I was like all right it is possible okay and then how am I gonna ha- make that happen here in my life and um I'm getting sidetracked. Um, but uh, <laughs> we do that. We, you, yeah, you have every right. You can wander anywhere. You can wander anywhere. You can go anywhere you want. You. It's like my you podcast. Like you crazy. Well, I can do it's just. I, want. I mean, honestly, like I hope. I hope any person will do if they become pregnant, or I hope you know, as uh, what you're fighting for, informed yeah. consent. Educate yourself. Ask questions. Realize that you have rights, and you have. I mean, thankfully, I had experience, but I still immediately thought this is impossible to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's really overcoming a lot of those obstacles in your own, you know, heart and, and, and what I was afraid of. Not and to mention you're on a clock. Like, you only have so many right. months to figure well, it out. And then, I mean, and then, so for me, um, it's different with hospitals. Like, I, when people would say, like, oh, my God, I would be so scared having a baby mm-hmm. at home. I say... I'd be so scared having a baby in a hospital. I mean, totally. hospitals freak me out. You well, know, I don't want to go and, there. And the fear of birth, by the way, is a learned behavior. I mean, other mammals who are not as intelligent as human, the human species don't really fear birth. They just, it's part it of their, happens, yeah. it's a normal bodily function that they, right. that they deal with and they know exactly how to deal with it when it comes. It's instinctual. We as a society fear birth and that's because it's, as I said, it's a learned behavior. So my question would be for you guys is, because I already know the answer to this question, but where do we learn this behavior from? Where does the fear come from? Well, I mean, I guess everyone will say media or, you know, watching or just... It's I guess tr- being trick. separated it, yeah, away a, from from the process, I yeah, would assume. The, the, I mean, I don't. Well, that's a good point. The fe- fear part of it is that we've taken birth away from the home and and, yeah. and made it a natural thing. I think also we've taken the idea that women have instincts and to listen to them away from them. You know, I think yeah, medical. Yeah, there's been a disempowerment since the 20s, since yeah. the 1920s, uh, mm-hmm. uh, where the 
where the medicalization of birth. You know, in 1920, 90, 99% of people gave birth at home. Okay. And now 100 years later, 99% of people give birth in a hospital. hospital. And, uh, you know, we don't have... We don't have great statistics to show for that. I mean, we have higher infant mortality and higher maternal mortality than most westernized countries. So crazy. We have so what I'm. What my point is is that the fear that that the learned behavior fear comes not so much from the general population. It comes from the medical population. It's come. It comes from the organizations that that control birth, and and it comes from the way they teach residents, and they teach future doctors and current doctors Mm -hmm. all about the things that can go wrong. It comes from the medical legal world and the fear of being sued and the fear of, um, it's a very real, real fear. It may not happen as much as we think, but it, but it doesn't matter. One, one situation like that can devastate people's careers. So where women get their fear is a projection from the medical community Mm -hmm. where, you know, whether it's in the media or whatever else, who's the media talking to? The American College of OBGYN, right? They're talking to a local doctor. They're talking to local. When they when they when they have a story about birth, who do they go to? You know, physicians. They go to the the she she who shall not be named Mm. on this podcast. Mm -hmm. The skeptical OB is often quoted, Mm -hmm. and they go to ACOG for a quote. But they really don't go to you know they sometimes will find a local midwife or something else who will take the other side. But because they don't have the academic credentials. No, they're not. Uh, they're not professors at Cornell University. You know, they're just a, pr- a lowly practicing midwife or a, somebody like me, a lowly practicing uh, okay. obstetrician. We don't carry the 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 gravitas or the weight, so our statements don't seem to matter as much. Even though uh, logic and uh, common sense would would obviously be on the side of you know the ethics of informed consent. And what and what Rixa Fries so so graciously put in her or not graciously um, eloquently put in her letter about whose whose choices that's whose choice is is it? this? I mean, it's it, the fact that the parents didn't even fight against Doctor Boot. Boots, boots, yeah. <laughs> bootlegger. Yeah, um, <laughs> is it, so that's all the hospital. I mean, I, to me, I feel like it also comes down to money. I mean, you put birth in the hospital, and there's just more money there. And then to take it, you know, and you're f- afraid of all the things that could happen because of legality and insurance, and you know, you know, I mean, and and let me ask a question. I mean, when when I when I do your birth or, or and go out on a limb for you, or when Doctor Boots Taylor did a birth. For these people because he knows how to do breach delivery and he knows the risks and benefits and he went through that and these people made an informed choice um no see i, I had see, to, i had a brain fart there. <laughs> i uh, think you were uh, headed towards if something were to be uh, to go wrong right. would we hold you no i wasn't actually going there okay. i was i was gonna but that's a good point <laughs> because you got informed consent you generally yeah. don't see that sort of thing but but when when he offers that sort of um, those that option to somebody, um, I mean, they got what they wanted, and they knew the risks. And there was a minor, I mean, like not that it's collateral damage that the baby had a broken bone, but it, it happens, right? So well, like, it happens at cesarean, it happens at cesarean section. It happens with head first babies, and it, yeah, it, it, that that sort of thing can happen. And and by the way, it's as horrible as it sounds. A broken bone in a baby is baby not. just heals by itself. Yeah, yeah. you know, I had a, in a breech delivery uh, a couple of years ago. I had a broken humerus bone. That's the upper arm bone, and you know, I, I've and talked it wasn't to, funny. No. Oh, it's a horrible. It was a. Ho- it was a. Ho- it was a horrible you. sound when it happened. You know, it was just horrible, and I knew that it happened, and and you know, I didn't really know what to do. And I and again, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but but so I called the pediatrician and I asked him oh. 
what to do with something like that. And his response was, well, are both ends of the bone in the same room? Oh my gosh. And I said, yeah. And he said, then just don't worry about it. It'll heal. It'll, It'll be heal. fine. And he was very calm because he was a good guy, mm. you know, and because, you know, we have a community of people who are confident in their practice. Oh, and that's what I, that was my point. I, I, I drew go. a blank. Um, <laughs> because Dr. Boots Taylor knows how to do right. these sorts of things. The next generation and the people that control medicine, they don't teach this stuff. They don't know this stuff. They don't even want to learn this stuff. All right. You know, they, they don't want to attend. There's breach, there are breach seminars. There are breach conferences that go on everywhere there. Are, I don't know about twin conferences as much. Um, I did go to, and I'll talk about that in a second, but there are um, options to learn how to do this sort of thing, and they're not teaching that option. And therefore, you always fear what you don't understand. Sure. And when you have the control and the power, you're going to, if somebody does something that you wouldn't do or you can't do, um, whether there's good outcomes or bad outcomes, he was going to get peer-reviewed for this. Mm. All right. I don't and understand why it isn't mandatory to learn all the right? variations of, of well, that's, presentation. That, see, you're a layperson and you're saying the same thing that I say all the time. You know, we teach shoulder dystocia uh, drills to everybody because shoulder dystocias do happen. Why don't we teach, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, undiagnosed breach delivery showing up in the ER with a butt sticking out of the vagina yeah. happens once in a while too and people don't know what to do. And you always hear the story about how they push the baby back up yeah. inside and then they do the cesarean section on them. And even if you've had a prior shoulder distortion, you're and no OB. I mean, I have a girlfriend and she was told left and right, you got to get a cesarean. Like, I feel like whether, if it's and there's not... No, and there's actually very little data to support that. There's a there's a slight increased risk of a repeat shoulder dystocia, but, but shoulder dystocias themselves don't necessarily, very rarely do they result in any sort of uh, permanent injury. They just don't. So if you, if you know how to manage one, you generally are going to be fine with that. But there it goes back to just knowing how to. Right. But they don't tell the woman when she, they recommend a C-section to her that, that here's the risks of the, sur the surgery, and they're probably greater than the risks to your body and your baby. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and maybe future babies than the risk of having a shoulder dystocia in your second pregnancy. Right. And, and there have been a lot of people who've had very difficult first deliveries. They could be a cesarean section. They could be forceps delivery, whatever, and then the second baby just you know falls out in the car on the way to the hospital. <laughs> mm. You hear that quite often as well. Well, and my question, though, um, also is if you do perform a cesarean section on a breech baby, isn't it still born breech? Yeah. I mean, they still extract it, but first it's just through an incision, so right. I don't... Why is it any safer? Well, that's what's not safer. I mean, it, it, you know, according to certain studies that it's safer and occurred to other studies it's not safer ultimately that again when you talk about informed consent you give the information to the woman and then she can decide but safety is also relative it really doesn't safety doesn't mean anything if you don't know what the actual risk is if you can't talk about relative risk but the, but as Rixa says in her article and, and gives eight references there are babies born by cesarean section that have broken bones not infrequently. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, actually, it is infrequent, but it's no not much more infrequent than it is if it's done vaginally. Right. So, I mean, there are there are guys that are uh, arbitrate uh, with ACOG that they think that everyone should have a cesarean section, and everyone should be delivered at thirty nine weeks. Mm. And they, this hap this stuff goes on, on and on and on and on and on and on. Okay, so we've beat that horse to death. <laughs> so now you're now you're both pregnant. Uh, you both have twins. You both basically have found a solution to your problem that you're going to have a home birth with your twins. When you, Becky, said that you knew baby A, uh, which was uh, Linux, right? Rowan. Oh, Rowan, sorry. Yeah. Rowan was breech. From the get-go. From the get-go. Well, no, much. I mean, 
I started to worry that she was breech, probably closer to like more than halfway through. So almost 30 weeks still was being, you know, encouraged. Oh, she could flip any time, but was she was consistently head down. And then we were getting closer and closer to the cutoff, which was, I think, 36 weeks, where if she hadn't turned, then it was like, oh, well, gave it the old college try in the hospital. So then at 36 weeks, when she was still head down, then came the decision to be like, okay. Butt down or head down? Uh, I'm sorry. She was butt down. She right. was still breech, complete breech. Um, um, then came the big decision was, you know, I said, well, I still want to do this at home. <laughs> yeah. What happens if I still want to do it at home? And we had to talk and we had to, you know, have like a really serious, you know, discussion about it because this was the first twin birth for the sanctuary. So it was, everything was brand new okay. and here we are breach again and, or, and still. And you said, not only were you breach, but you were breach, breach, double breach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We Lots just do butts. it. We do everything yes. all the way <laughs> over yes. here. Yeah. But, um, so then we, you know, it was a heart to heart thing. And for me, like I was afraid. Of course. I didn't know very much about breach delivery at all. So then I got this little tiny book that, uh, one of the midwives gave me and I was reading it and, I had to do a lot of soul searching and, 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 but also being encouraged by you and, and by the other midwives at the, at the sanctuary that this was okay. And this is, you know, it's not ideal, but what, it's What was okay. I thinking? Right? <laughs> it, no, we were, we were renegades, man. We were, totally. we were changing history. But, um, and then you went on vacation. I remember I was oh, freaking out about you that. go on vacation. <laughs> he did. He but, went on vacation. Well, but he knew. Rest. He was like, you'll be fine. And I'm like, all right. <sighs> And then, you know, I once I overcame that fear and decided to press forward with, with the home birth, and, you know, I was like, let's do this. You and know? how many and, weeks were you when you delivered? Um, uh, 37 and one. So they came like a week later. Amazing. And, um, you know, spontaneous yep. uh, rupture. I mean, everything was a first. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to get into uh, Jessica's little yeah. story in a second. But uh, so, okay, so it was 37 and one. You, you were in labor. Uh, I, like we came to your house and then everything sort of just went the day the sun came up I think right and the, dude well my water broke at 3 a.m. and I completely like started freaking out because yeah. I'd never had spontaneous rupture and, and plus you, I thought twins they're gonna be born in like an hour you yeah it's your, call it's your third vaginal birth <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you're like, they're gonna be here now so I you know called Rashad and she was like we'll try to rest you know and then but I also lived in the valley and they, everyone was on the west side so then there was like the the concept of like okay what if we're all sitting in traffic while she's sitting over there leaving right. twins so um anyway so everyone rushes over and then we just sit there all day <gasps> like this <laughs> and like just watching you know like waiting I had a few contractions I think um and then we got all the way through lunch, dinner, and then I was like, you know what? Why don't you guys just leave? Rashad had like a con like a conference to go to the next day or whatever, and so everyone left. And then and like then thirty started, minutes yeah. later, <laughs> it was like, being oh watched. my god! Like just yeah, it was Valentine's Day. My Aww. husband was eating sushi, and we were filming the birth pool. And I was like, this is how it happened now. And you were rushing over. Yeah, I think I was the first one there. He comes in and like you know he's trying to set up and everything, and I'm like, oh, and I got in the water, and then Julie came. But all of a sudden, my body just Did started it. pushing, and the baby was born. They're like, you don't have to push. And I'm like, no, I have to push. <laughs> and then I was like, she's out. And they're like, what? Like, and that was that. Yeah, you were on all fours. Yeah, in the, in in the water. Yeah. And she just right. rocketed out in the Yeah, world. not, you know, that, I'll, I'll be honest with you that I, I'm not a big fan of delivering breach Yeah, you in kicked the water. me out of the tub. Right. 
Well, you want to be able to see. Sure. And, yeah. Well, I, I, well, if I have to do something, but your babies were little pipsqueaks anyway. They were, but I had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah. I had no idea that it was going to be one and done. You know what I mean? So she was out and then her head delivered and then, then I got out. Yeah, and then we got and, you out, yeah. and then we we laid you down for a little bit, and this was on February fourteenth, mm-hmm. right? At ten at, something, ten fifteen, I think, yeah. at, or like a little after ten, ten at night or something uh-huh. like that, whatever. And then uh, what happened? <laughs> well, we, um, I, you know, I, I nursed her for a little while, and then I passed her off to her older sister, and then we moved mm-hmm. into my bedroom. So eventually, we cut the cord. We didn't. We did. We, we but are you having contractions in between at this no. point? No, no, it's no. Totally. labor stopped. So, um, and and then we handed her off, and then we moved into my room because that's just where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And then I was um, about two hours later was when I. I actually asked you to break her water. Yep. I, think I was like, right. two hours just later. get this moving. Yeah, we, nothing we, is happening. Nothing was happening, right. I mean, I was contracting. I was pushing. I was done. I wanted it to be over. And I said, please break her water. And you were hesitant, but I begged. Well, I was hesitant because I was concerned that possibly yeah. the cord could come oh, down. That's right. And we checked, well, yeah, we checked her position. And and I, I had my was, portable. I, we had our portable ultrasound, ultrasound machine, right? Yeah. And um, and we checked her position and she was breathing. So your contractions weren't like, i got to push. It was sort of like. with the first one. Yeah, there's everything just kind of, I had to, I felt like I had to start managing my labor at that point. Like I, I had start to start like, at pushing myself. Well, in, in the in the way that I was trained with twins, once the first twin was out, we immediately then would go up, break the bag of waters and deliver the second twin. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I was taught. And that's the way I thought that it's always supposed to be done. And, and part of me looks back at it now and realizes, well, that's the reason it's done that way is partly because you've got. 16 people in the operating room standing around who don't want to sit around for two hours. So that's why twins, if you look at twins who are born vaginally in the hospital, they're usually about five minutes apart. First twin comes out and then then they, it's just the way it's done. Here though, also because uh, Lennox moved into a breach position. So we had breach one and then we thought, well, maybe, you know, she'll go head down and she didn't. So we were managing another breach birth. So we did kind of have to hands off. Right, because because of of that. Right, but then I was just like really pushy. So uh, we did that, and then uh, on all fours uh, on yeah. February fifteenth, they yes. have different birthdays. So they have different birthdays. Oh my yeah. gosh! <laughs> uh, out came uh, Lennox. Lennox. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it was fine. And that was great. Yeah. And they were weighed. How much did they weigh? Um, I think Rowan was uh, maybe five and change, and Lenny was like six and change. They were like a pound different, but teeny. But the first one was smaller than yeah, the second one. Yeah, she was the smallest. And they both so, fit out. Yeah. And the heads didn't get stuck. Nope. Oh, my God. I know. Amazing. Weird. Amazing. And then we're all just glowing because we just did Yeah, it was babies. me and Alex. I think it was, it was Alex. Because uh, Rasha, yeah. Rasha, Rasha was at she something. She had to yeah. leave. And um, Heather had been there during the day. We have that great then, picture that we still have. Yeah. It's on my... It's on my uh, uh, my uh, hmm. birthing instinct site on the on the photo on the uh, gallery page. There's that yeah. picture of us just beaming with your two yeah, babies. There was yeah, there's a lot of pride. Yeah, it was oh, great. Yeah. Well, thanks for telling your story. Of course. And then you've gone on now to have another uh, <laughs> uh, home birth, right? Yeah, we had an under-the-radar baby after the twins. But yeah, he's three and a half now and mm. perfect. Perfect, yeah. yeah. And he's sitting watching Minions in the other room right yeah. now, <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, Jessica. Yeah. All right. So you got to um, uh, go into labor. Uh, you got to that point. Wait, when you found out that, you know, how long, how long was baby A... Which is, so they were, baby A's name was... Um, Axel. Axel, right. How long did we know that baby A was breech? He kind of flipped back and forth. He was head down at like 25 and then he went back to um, breech and then I think he stayed breech. He was always breech, whereas baby B, Levi, kind of switched back and forth. Um, but Axel was basically breech Which is very common, time. by the way. For A, will usually 
settle into a position and B is the variable. Yeah. I was doing so much inversion. I mean, I was just hanging. Like I reconfigured my couch so my belly could just hang because he was also really low. And I remember my midwife checked me fairly early and I was dilated to like a two and you were going out of town. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I want my listeners should know that I don't you, go out of town. No, you, <laughs> you actually were seeing your father who was turning 90, 90 something. Probably, and probably actually, 90. How well? Well, just no, last August. Or 95. No, ni- oh, last August? Yeah. It was 96. 96. In fact, yeah, Moses. He, he's passed away since then. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, all of my listeners know I did in August. Oh, that's right. That's when you we did, uh, We John and I put together a podcast. Him, yes. uh, we were in podcast number 100 where I interviewed my father. Moses actually said the other day, my son, Dr. Stu's father is almost 100. Wow. Just the other day. Yeah. He yeah, said well, that. He'll, he'll be 100 in about three more years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm in sorry. In my to mind, hear yeah. That. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's right. So, so that was. I had a good reason. You did. It was. I like, don't know what your reason was, but yeah, it was a Tahiti. Good. I think you went to Costa Rica or something. <laughs> oh, like, I might have gone to Costa Rica. Yeah, you yeah. Like left the country. Like, yeah. yeah, I liked Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Yeah, I almost didn't come back. <laughs> I think I'm probably because did. because you were there, I probably. <laughs> yeah, it's my, I came back. <laughs> it's my fault. That's my fault. Right. Um. So yeah, we knew, and then at the end, he baby, baby uh, A was breech and baby B was vertex. Right. So then you went into labor. Uh, tell went us a little labor. bit about your labor. Um, I was very dilated, but not in labor. I was already at like a five, six five with a bulging bag. That. And I remember you were like, you need to tell me the second anything starts. Because you live in Orange County, and then mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm living in downtown Los Angeles yeah. at that point. So it's not that far. It's like no, 35, it like 30 40 minutes. minutes yeah. right? But I remember that day, I had nothing. And then I took a walk. I baked two pies. I was like picking up my kid from school. And then at like 8.30, 9.45, my water broke. Like, goosh. Called everybody. Everyone was there in a half hour. You checked me. I was seven eight. You went to go lay down in the other room. I went in the tub, and I was like, "I am pushing. Yeah. <laughs> I am like need to push." And then you got me out, and it was. I mean, was it, how long was I on the couch for? This is important. Not very long. <laughs> Damn it! I mean, from water <laughs> breakage, <laughs> water breakage to first baby was two hours, so it was really fast. Yeah, that's wild. Did we break the water? No, he no, no. he broke. Yeah, I had, yeah, yeah. At nine forty five, and then Axel was born at eleven forty seven. Okay, so, so really eleven forty-seven p.m. and and funny enough, they were born on the same day. Those her two twins. So we're going to talk a little bit about twin B in a second. But Axel came out complete breach. He's complete breach, just like uh, Rowan was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his foot actually came out first. And Moses, my son, was like, "I see a hand," and everyone's like, "That's a no, foot." That's a foot, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, hand would be bad. Uh, hands are hands are yeah. never good when they come out first. A foot coming out first. Everybody, some people think that that's footling breach. It's really not footling breach. Um, when they're sitting with their legs crossed. It's like a Buddha, yeah. Like yeah, sitting. like Buddha. So that's what the foot's always going to be the first thing that comes out in a complete breach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how did that delivery go for you? It was amazing. And actually, out of my three vaginal births, I felt like the most enjoyable, oddly, because it just sort of was slower and there wasn't like that ring of fire and he just sort of slid out. Interesting, because uh, I've heard people say the same thing that you said and really? other women who've had other babies think that the breech babies the mo- was their most painful delivery. Partly because it was, you know, there's, it's not this round globe that's coming mm. through. It's this bony. Bony, yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Thing. I just remember being like. But you had been already already so far dilated, and the baby had yeah. been so low in your pelvis yeah. already that it was perfect. It was a, to, for someone to do a cesarean section on you, okay, a multip with a breech first twin in proper position at that low station would have been harder, probably. Well, it would have been, you know, it's not criminal, but it would have been really, oh. it would have been really. Wrong, and that's what would ninety nine point nine percent of women who have your situation would have a cesarean section for that. Yeah, well, especially. Right, so. Um, so 
yeah, he came out. You handed him through me through my legs because I was on all fours on my bed, and I just laid down and was like, oh. And that relief was so amazing. And then it was gone. Like this, the moment I felt it, the second it was gone, and I could feel this big bulge coming out. And I actually thought Levi came out, and I was like, I think. And it was my water. And then did the water break, or was it just the big bag sticking out? No, my water broke. Like went everywhere. Right, and, and this was only like a minute or so. Yeah, after, it was like right literally after. right after. Right. Like I could barely catch my breath. And then um, Sue felt, and she was like, I feel a foot. And then you felt, and you said, no, that's a cord. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. And you were like, we have a cord prolapse. Right. We have a cord prolapse. And I was a dual. I knew exactly what that meant. Did you freak out? I or mean, just like, I just was like, snap okay. Snap into action. Yeah. yeah, snap into action. And you were like, you need to push. And everybody just like got super quiet, mm-hmm. and I yeah, just because the room was it was it was it was, it was joyous, and Moses yes, was in there, Moses and was everybody in there, yeah, and was everyone going was on. yeah, it was great. Know. And I said, you need to push, and then and then I just pushed. I just someone took the baby, um, and and then you were like, I'm gonna get the vacuum, and you ran right because you went because the heart yes. rate was was down a little bit, and uh, she pushed, and she did really well to push, but it just wasn't coming. So I actually left the room to go <laughs> get the vacuum. To go, get, it's in the, it was in my suitcase in another room, and I went and got the vacuum, and we, but it was super we put fast. A, and we put a vacuum on, and then yeah, and I think it, it was out, the next push was yeah, came out. out right, and then and he cried. Thank God immediately, like yeah, the second your, your he your baby's Apgar scores were nine and nine and ten and ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were both babies were nines and nines and and everyone kept and 10 saying. 10. The cord didn't turn white. The cord didn't turn white. Like, he's fine. I mean, and the fact that he cried, I think, I've, it felt like he cried before he was even fully out. Well, there was some cord compression, <laughs> like, but there, you know, there wasn't cord occlusion. There was cord compression, cord and compression. That's, that can happen mm-hmm. in labor, too. But obviously, when a big loop of cord falls down like that, it's it's a uh, it's an emergency. Yeah, yeah, like that would have been, an, I would have been knocked out and it, had I been in the hospital. It, had. Really, it depends. I mean, there a lot of doctors know what to do with a head first baby completely dilated in a cord. So you probably would have had a vacuum in the hospital too. Mm. The idea that that anyone listening who's in academia would say that what you, he did a breech vertex twins with a vacuum, mm. and at he was home. OP. Levi was OP too. And, well, yeah, okay, and he did all that at home. This guy's crazy. This guy's insane. This mm. guy's nuts. And look, I, I would say, I would say that I'm not a cowboy and I'm not insane. I'm well trained. Yeah, and I don't have. You know, and the reason that I left the hospital birthing world is because the hospitals were doing to me what the hospitals are doing to Dr. Boots Taylor mm-hmm. is they're not allowing me to do the things that I was trained for, not because of necessarily bad outcomes, but simply because somebody in risk management or somebody in the anesthesia department or somebody in the pediatric department or some people, petty people in the OB department don't like what Dr. Boots Taylor is doing or it's making them uncomfortable. And even though he's honoring the profession as it really should be and honoring informed consent. Um, He's the one that's the outlier and they're the standard of care. Mm. And it's a shame and it's, 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 it's crazy. And then, and so then both of you guys, uh, you, you afterwards were fine, right? Fine. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking, you know, um, people may have thought I was crazy for the decision I made, but I never once, I mean, if I was afraid, if I, I I mean, fear was a part of it. I definitely had to like learn a lot about uh, twin pregnancy and and then about breach um, presentation, but I learned. And, and, and so I was no longer afraid because Mm -hmm. I knew. So I feel like what you're saying is, you know, because other people, other doctors or, or caregivers are feeling uncomfortable. It's because they're not educated. And, and I feel like knowledge always is power. So, 
Yeah, well, the kind of training that I got is not going to ever be available again. I mean, it's we, such a shame. We, tra- we trained... That uh, makes me really mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I spent four months at L.A. County USC Hospital in my residency at Cedars, and, and it was the busiest hospital in the country at that time, and they were doing about 65 yeah. births a day, and we mm-hmm. were just doing everything there. And, and it was, you know, it was a zoo, and it was a, it was sort of a coordinated zoo, but it was mm-hmm. a zoo nonetheless. And, but we got, we got training and everything. That sort of training has gone the wayside. And, and now the people that are, the academics that are running most of these programs, they don't know how to do these things. So how are they going to ever teach the next generation of people? So, so but it's sort of a schizophrenic profession because on one hand, the American College of OBGYN says the C-section rate's too high. The World Health right. Organization says the C-section rate's too high. Um, but they're not doing anything to... Um, Right, they're not providing solutions. Well, they're 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 putting out lip service, but they're not. They have no teeth in anything that they do to lower the C-section rate. Um, you know, they they need to be to change the incentives and financial incentives and things like that. Again, these things are not likely to come. So ultimately, the people like Dr. Boots Taylor and myself and other, uh, you know, what we consider ourselves to be true obstetricians, you know, we're going to become. We are dinosaurs. We're going to become extinct Absolutely. at some point. And these options are going to disappear unless we can continue to push them uh, and teach them. And even if, you know, and then even if midwives who are, some of the midwives I know are, are well trained to do this. And people always ask me, are you, like you said, I was never really scared, all right? You were never scared? No, you, they, you said yeah. that. But, I, once I got my team in place, I wasn't right. afraid. And, and people ask me, am I ever really scared at a birth? And the answer is no, I'm not really scared. I am alert. I am anxious. I have anxiety sometimes, uh, but I understand my role, and I understand that you know people are so well prepped in uh, this model with consent, with informed consent, and that sort of thing. That that um, I'm not concerned, and and I know that the mammalian model things generally don't go down the toilet really quickly, other than you know cord prolapse. Now, if you had only been six centimeters in that mm. cord prolapse, that would be. A nine one one call. My hand, or or, the, or Sue's hand, would have been in your vagina, keeping that head off the cord while we, we went on all fours uh, down the hallway and out the door and into the ambulance, and that would happen. And yeah, those are very rare occasions. But when you don't arom people, when you don't artificially rupture right. their membranes, stuff like that, it's really really rare to have that cord plop down. down like that. It's only it, it's not uncommon in second twins. Sure, I mean it makes sense. He was higher up. His water broke and. Stuff went down. Right. But we really need to understand that that these choices are not unreasonable choices with skilled practitioners. And getting back getting back down to, you know, the whole thing going on down in Georgia, which is where this whole thing started for, and to honor those uh, to honor the sea baby midwives and, and Dr. Boots Taylor, mm-hmm. is to say that this is it, this is not outrageous stuff. What's outrageous is that the medical community and the the administration of hospitals and things thinks that these things are not what should be done. Right. Um, pioneers in the field, and, and I, I don't even consider myself a pioneer. I consider myself like a, 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 a conservationist. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say know? a traditionalist. Yeah, I, I want to conserve the, um, the traditions that make obstetricians and the profession of obstetrics unique. And those things are just disappearing. And I think Dr. Boots-Taylor is also on the same field. We've talked before. Uh, we have actually never met. And oh. uh, I'm looking forward to at some point running into him. But we've emailed back and forth for years now. Um, I think it also though comes down to the, to women and to like because when women know their options, then they get to seek them out, you know. And if you don't know your options, then you're just going to listen to the medical 
your doctor and I feel like we're lucky though that we have options. I, I mean, there's certainly yes. many states um, in our country they that yeah, what where we're yeah, where I mean, we I, were at would not, would not have. And I even got to the point. I was going to say that midwives. A lot of midwives know have the skill to do breaches and twins. Yes, and then but now we're now we're, yeah, the legis- now the states are legislating against that sort of thing. So again, it adds to the schizophrenia of the American College of OBGYN, which says that you know we need to lower the C-section rate. But we're not going to teach breach delivery. And those people that know how to do breach delivery, we're going to lobby right. to get them to stop doing breach delivery, but we want to lower the C-section rate. You know? Or we, want to, so we, want to, we think VBAC is a good idea, but we're not going to put any teeth into that to make hospitals do VBACs. And, oh, we're not going to let women have VBACs at home because that's unsafe. But having the repeat C-section in the hospital is fine. I mean, it, think about this. I mean, I don't, I, do. know that, I don't know that they actually sit in a room and actually think about the words that are coming out of their mouth and going on to these, these guidelines. Right. Well, I think it's, like you say, it's lip service. They're willing to acknowledge that the you know, research-based um, findings are that, you know, VBAC is safer than a repeat C-section. They're willing to acknowledge that, but like you said, they're not really putting any motion behind it um, to facilitate it, to, to make sure that, you know, that happens. Right. Well, listen, well, this has been really great, and, I, and it's really good to see both of you. Uh, yeah. Becky, I haven't seen you in ages. It's been years. I can't believe, it's been, I can't believe the kids are only nine months old, uh, Jessica. <laughs> I it know. just seems like it's been longer than that. Really? Yeah, it seems so like anyway, it's been like I 11 So anyway, I want to thank my guests, Jessica Herod. Thank you. Becky Dodson. Blah, 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 Dodson. <laughs> <laughs> Dodson <laughs> Becky, yeah, I can't She has a long other name. Well, it's pronounced Renkevich. Oh, so but it's spelled worse than that. Yeah, right? it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> and I want to thank Rowan and Lennox and Axel and Levi yeah. for their contribution and to thank you, um, Dr. Stu. You're welcome. It's Seriously, really it's been a, it was a pleasure taking care of both of you guys. I hope to continue to do that as long as the state legislature <laughs> uh, doesn't try to uh, resubmit uh, Senate Bill 457 which was uh, tabled for this year i'm so glad that was but they tabled. were yeah but they want to ban vaginal uh v-back breach and twin deliveries outside of the hospital not on my uh, watch right well you just have to listen and people have to mobilize women have to make the demand it has to come we've said it a thousand times on dr stew's podcast that the consumer is the thing that's going to make the change right. people like me are outliers we're not going to be there no one's going to listen to us other than Occasionally, we get called in to write a letter or testify. I really appreciate people like Rick Safries and all the people at DeKalb uh, uh, protest group and all my all my brethren throughout the world, actually, who are supporters of Breach and Twin Delivery. Thank you uh, for being there for me and for all the women that we take care of. Once again, this is Dr. Stuart Fishbein with Jessica and Becky. We're doing a podcast number, uh, excuse me, it has no number. Numberless. Uh, this is a numberless podcast. It's a special edition of Dr. Stu's podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>